0: Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, April 5th, and we're talking about a big non-gap metric. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Motley Fool Premium Analyst Tim Byers on Skype. Tim, what's going on? how are you doing, Dylan? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's nice to chat with you. You are over in our Colorado office, and for anyone that winds up watching the video of this, you have a very nice scenic (laughs) Colorado-esque backdrop behind you
1: yeah we're in the Flatirons conference room. We put up some murals to celebrate the the mountains around us. and so this one is the Flatirons conference room in uh, in Boulder. Um, and so you're uh you're seeing a picture of Boulder behind me, even though I'm not actually in Boulder.
0: I was gonna say I've seen pictures out the window of the Colorado office that we have, and it looks an awful lot like that. so you you could have yes. had me fooled there. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you on we we haven't actually done a show together to my knowledge um, and uh, you know in the time that you've been out in Colorado, I'm just happy to have an excuse to chat with you, Tim.
1: Yeah, same here, man. I mean it's a uh, and and we've known each other over over the years uh, because I I was uh, writing for fool.com for so many years and and so uh, yeah, it's, this is the first time we've ever done something like this. you know about companies that uh, i think are you know have sort of either exploited or abused this topic that we're going to get into it's <laughs> absolutely true and and the reason that you're
0: on today is we got a listener question and i put it out to the folks that are kind of aware of our podcast and involved in our podcasts, and said, like, hey, does anybody want to tackle this? And you shot up immediately and said, yes, <laughs> I want in. So, so I'm going to read that question, and then we'll start digging into why you are so excited to talk about it. This is a note we got back in January from a listener. PT wrote into the show and asked, hi, Motley Fool family. I have a general finance question that's been bugging me for years, and I'm finally asking, why does anyone care about EBITDA? I know what it is. I know it stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. What I've always struggled with is why anybody cares. Don't I want EATDA? Earnings after interest, taxes, etc.? Why tell me how much you made before your bills came due and assets lost value? Honestly, it makes no sense to me. My dad tried to explain it, saying it's useful for creditors to determine if they have the cash flow to cover payments. I get that, but still only to a point if i was a creditor i'd probably like to see ebitda uh, if i'm an equity holder what good does ebitda do me at all what a question tim
1: yeah i know i mean it's it's amazing and it's a good question because ebitda is one of those mysterious non-GAAP metrics and when we say non-GAAP we mean that you know, most companies have to report their financial statements according to what are called generally accepted accounting principles. That's GAAP. So when you have a non-GAAP metric, it means it's not something that the regulators require, but it is something that a company wants you to look at because they think it's useful for measuring their business. And EBITDA is generally useful for measuring a company, um, you know on, on an equal basis. and and Dylan, you had something to, to say about this. It's like if, if one company has a lot of debt and another company has a lot of you know equity, you want to be able to measure those two companies side by side, especially if they're in the same industry.
0: Yeah, I think it's most helpful if you're trying to control for financing structure. That's one of right. the easy ways to look at it. So, if you take two businesses, and almost every other line item is the same in terms of revenue, cost of goods sold, all that kind of stuff. You have one business that is entirely equity financed another business that is entirely debt financed, well, the one that has debt financing is going to have interest payments, and so it will show a little bit less net income than the other company. Of course, if you look on an EBITDA basis, because you're adding that back in, you wind up with two businesses that have the exact same EBITDA.
1: Right. And EBITDA is also very useful for looking at companies that are in an investment phase. Um, and and there are a lot of tech companies, and I know you talk about a lot of tech companies on this podcast, so and there, a lot of tech companies start in a heavy investment phase. And at that point, there is something to be said for adding back the depreciation on those assets because um, over time, those assets are supposed to be income-producing. Now, you can't abuse that, of course, but there are instances where EBITDA tells you a lot about a company that's in the investment phase. And one that we were talking about before we, we came on the air was Amazon. Um, you know, Amazon created Amazon Web Services in 2006. And if you were to look at the income statement and you were to look at earnings uh, between 2006 and current, Um, It wasn't only until recently, last couple of years, where those earnings weren't bouncing around all over the place and running negative in some years. If you looked at the EBITDA, it was a little different. And the reason for that is because Amazon was investing in infrastructure that was paying uh, capital back to the company over time. So they were investing in warehouses. They were investing in servers. They were investing in software that they could use to sell more of Amazon Web Services. And so by accounting for the value of, that, uh, of those assets that they were investing in and depreciating over time, you got a better picture for the real cash earnings of this business, which turns out, I mean, if you look at Amazon, boy, there are few cash earners like this one.
0: Yeah, if you truly have an asset that is going to be producing a lot of cash for a company, EBITDA is a very useful metric to be looking at. and uh, It's one of those beautiful metrics because you can calculate it by following the name. It is the earnings before interest, Correct. taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So If you're trying to calculate it, net income plus all of those expenses, alternatively, you could look at your operating profit, add depreciation and amortization in, and basically have the same number.
1: Right. And you know, it it may be worthwhile just for a second to talk about what depreciation and amortization, you know, what these things are without getting too much into accounting speak. But basically, if you buy an asset, you buy a computer, let's say, And that's something that's supposed to help you produce income as a business. And we're in the publishing business here at The Motley Fool, so we buy computers. Computers do help us make money, so we depreciate the value of those computers over time. So you determine the useful life of that, and then on a schedule every year, you depreciate some of that, and that comes off of your income statement. It's an expense, but then on the cash flow statement, it gets added back in because there was no cash spent. The cash was spent earlier. Now you're getting a credit back after you spent it. So it's accounting. So it's a little wacky, but that's the reason for it. It's you are accounting for the useful life of something that's making your business money over time. Amortization is pretty similar, um, but you amortize things that have a useful life, but they have a value. So like an asset has a value over the course of time. And so you pay for that asset over the course of time. And then you write down the value of that in in an amortization schedule. So it's a little funky, but basically what it means is that businesses invest in things. Those things have a value and you don't recognize the value of that all at once. Because if you did, you were saying, this thing I bought is going to bring me value, and here's the value it's going to bring me, and I'm going to claim it all right now. That would be really weird. And so, accounting sort of normalizes for that.
0: Right. And that's where we get the smoothness with a company like Amazon with its AWS investments over time, looking at the EBITDA metric, not so much looking at the traditional income statement. Uh, I think of metrics generally kind of like a tool, Tim, uh, both for companies and for analysts. And like almost any tool. It's something that can be used positively, and it's something that can be used negatively. I think if you're looking for good, positive uses of EBITDA, it is for just that. You have an an asset that is going to be producing cash for a long time for a business, and you just want to get a sense of what it looks like in a little bit more stable terms.
1: Right. And so businesses, so for for our listeners who may be uh, in premium services and they've seen us recommend businesses like Amazon or Equinix, which is a data center provider, or American Tower, which is a very popular one amongst Fools. Uh, these are companies that have hard assets, they've made big investments, and those investments produce cash over time. There are other ways to abuse it. Um, depreciation and amortization really are accounting for things that are non-cash charges. I put, you know, you if you're watching the video, you'll see me do the air quotes. If you're listening, I just did air quotes, <laughs> but the the idea here is that um any non-cash charge can show up and influence EBITDA. So that can be things like stock-based compensation or it could be The intangible value of an asset that was acquired. So let's say you're a tech company that is trying to roll up an industry in healthcare or something like that, and you buy a bunch of different companies. And in those companies, there are products in development, but they haven't been released yet. Well, those products have intangible value because they haven't been released. And you can say this has Five million dollars in intangible value and that influences your EBITDA. So you can really game the system uh, by using EBITDA. What you really want to look at, the, the real question to ask is why. Why is EBITDA an important metric for this business? If it's primarily because they're investing in big assets that are tangible, that you can see producing income over time, then that's probably a good use of the metric. If it's very funny, if there's a lot of stock-based compensation, or there's a lot of intangible assets that are being amortized that influence that, you may—I mean, watch out. That's that's probably a warning sign.
0: Yeah, that's when I start to go on high alert. And I think the reason EBITDA does get a bad rep uh, among some analysts is the fact that it is a very easy thing for companies to point to if they are desperately trying to hide bad results right if they yes. if they're losing a ton of money but they're like hey look on an ebitda basis you know we're we're positive uh, right. <laughs> that's that's where i think a lot of people especially people in the tech space um start to look at ebitda with a little bit of scorn
1: Right. And there's there, there's something that's sort of cropped up amongst venture capitalists and, and you know, private equity investors in the tech space. And so this applies to this flood of IPOs that we have coming called the Rule of 40, because EBITDA is such a popular metric because these companies coming out are losing money. And the idea is the rate of growth, the rate of revenue growth should be at least 40 points higher than the operating loss that the company is reporting. So let's say they're growing at 120%, but their operating margin is negative 40%. That's plus 80. That means you can reasonably assume over the course of time that that growth is going to bring them into positive territory. If it's negative, then even if they come out the gate saying, look, we're positive on an EBITDA basis, you know, look, look out. Uh, so you really do want to kind of look at where the y is. So, and 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 Lyft is a good company. I mean, just came public, very interesting company, has a good brand name, has a good brand. It's like the anti Uber, but it's deeply unprofitable and if you looked at it on an EBITDA basis, it would still be unprofitable, but it's going to look better on an EBITDA basis because of its investments and particularly because of its investments in intangibles, its brand because it will say that our brand is one of our competitive advantages. You really want to be careful there, especially with a company like this. And I would bet dollars to donuts, Dylan, that Uber is going to say the exact same thing coming out the gate. And you know, it's it really is something to, to be cautious of. What you really want to look for is higher gross margin and improvements in things like uh, growing unearned revenue, or things, things that are, are really cash-based that show cash coming through the door. And Lyft is, Lyft is a little funny in this area, so it is important to keep a, a close eye on this. Yeah,
0: and I think that this is something that is going to be a very big part of the conversation just broadly in tech in 2019. Because you mentioned Uber, but you know um, Airbnb, Slack, there are a lot of businesses that are probably not profitable yet uh, that are going to be going public in this wave that we're seeing of unicorns hitting the public markets. EBITDA is going to be a number that gets thrown out there quite a bit, and that's just because you see it more with your less established companies. It's a little bit easier to focus on that. we talked about some red flags before Tim, and one that I'd throw out there too is, if you see a business that is leaning more on gap metrics, focusing more on their net income, and then all of a sudden focusing on EBITDA, yes, that's a cause for concern.
1: Yes, and 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 the warning sign, and the way to check that. There's a really easy way to check that if you're an investor and you see this. What caused the shift? Is it a big investment in a tangible asset? For a product or a program that you already knew was coming, and so this is, this is not news, it's just the accounting version of you know this news, then that is, is less of a warning sign. If it comes completely out of the blue, like you're saying, Dylan, then that's a real cause for concern because it may be that they're trying to obscure parts of the operation that aren't performing well. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and and I think that you just always need to know the why. The metrics are helpful. You always need to know the why. Uh, the the other thing I'll throw out there specifically with EBITDA is um, as non-GAAP metrics go, I think it is one of the more uniform ones. You know, uh, apples to apples. Uh, if you just see EBITDA, chances are it's going to be fairly comparable across businesses yes. as they're reported. Yes. That's not true for adjusted EBITDA. There are a lot of puts and takes that go into that number. And increasingly, we're seeing more and more of that metric in the tech space.
1: Right. And, And that's because companies want you to look at their results the way that they see them. And that's not what you should be doing. As an investor, what you should be doing is looking at the value drivers. What really drives value here? It may be that EBITDA, like in the case of Amazon, tells you a lot about what's driving value in the company. I mean, I don't think any of us would argue today that Amazon Web Services or the logistics business that Amazon is moving into are not creating value for the company, and those started years ago. And EBITDA was telling us how they were investing. So that's what you really want. You really want to know. And adjusted EBITDA is here's EBITDA, and here are things we want you to ignore. And Take our word for it, and that that's that's very very dangerous. Uh, you really want something that is is standard cash flow from operations, free cash flow. These are both non-GAAP metrics, but they are um, generally agreed to. They're agreed upon. Free cash flow is not a GAAP metric. It's but it is something that's standard, and EBITDA is too. Once you start getting into Here's the things we adjusted for, and oh by the way, here's the five other things we want you to adjust for. You start playing a game of you know financial chicken, <laughs> and uh, things can get ugly. Yeah, uh, you know you already remove quite a bit
0: when you're looking at EBIT uh, adjusted EBITDA, especially for a lot of early stage tech companies. Removes even more line items, and the one that I think of most is stock based compensation. Uh, A non-cash charge in a lot of ways, but one that I think investors need to be very aware of. I think of Snap in particular with this, where they recognized a ton of stock-based compensation related to a grant that Evan Spiegel received, and on an adjusted EBITDA basis, that got backed out. But, of course, that's a cost that shareholders really actually wind up carrying the burden for, because that's how stock-based compensation works.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the best ways to think about stock-based compensation, especially amongst tech companies, there used to be a, a a movement that says you just strip it all out, but I don't think that's right. What you want to do is maybe take half of it or take a quarter of it or some portion of it and just think about it. whatever you choose to take a portion of, just think of it as I'm investing, this is a company that's investing in, in its employees. So even though it's a not it, it, there is a non cash value to it. It is an investment. And so, if it's an investment, it does have a cost. And so, it should show up on the income statement. Maybe the hit shouldn't be as big as it is, and you back some of it out and you put some of it back on the cash flow statement, but you probably want to moderate it some. And a good way to look at that is maybe take a look at the industry this company participates in. How does everybody else do it? Do they? you know do they tend to overvalue stock based compensation if you're dealing with an outlier that tells you a lot
0: absolutely and and the way to dig into that is to look and see what those reconciliations like uh, look like any company that's giving you an adjusted number like this is going to have to show you how they got to that number And so you will get a nice breakdown of all of the puts and takes that go into that nice shiny profitable uh, adjusted EBITDA number that they're highlighting in their earnings report. And you can find that in their presentation. You can find that in the press release they put out.
1: Right. And and in the case of stock-based compensation, it's not hard to find out how they break that down. So if you see, um, and it sometimes they'll do it in a press release. At the bottom of the press release, it will say, "Here is the stock-based compensation that relates to R and D." here's what relates to sales and marketing here's what relates to cost of goods sold and so forth and if you see a an outsized number that's like in sales and marketing and that feels funny to you chances are it's funny
0: yeah yeah so so for our listener pt that wrote in that that's kind of the rundown on ebitda and i think even if you listen to all this, whether PT or any of our other listeners, and say, you know, this metric still doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. I still think I'd rather be looking at all the gap metrics. You're in pretty good company, right, Tim? I mean, there are a lot of very well-known investors that
1: say, I don't need EBITDA. I don't need to be focusing on this. Right. And and you don't. Um, you can get lots of really great insight just looking at the the straight gap numbers and each of the three uh, primary financial statements. Cash flow will tell you how much cash is coming out of the business. If it's bigger than net income, that tells you a lot. Uh, there's, you know, really what you want to pay attention to more than anything else. If all you do and nothing else is find out is the company growing, is it growing faster than it did before? Are the is the gross margin rising, and are they throwing off cash as a result? If you can answer those three questions positively you're going to be in really good shape
0: yeah anything else before i let you go tim i'm so glad that i was able to have you hop on and talk with me about it
1: no this is this is great i mean i i would say the primary thing is these ipos that are coming they're all really really interesting uh just be careful to not take management exactly at their word take you know take it with a grain of salt don't be a uh, an, an Uber skeptic, not literally an Uber skeptic, but like a you know a super skeptic. But um, you know, take a look for yourself. And chances are, um, if something looks funny, it is, and and you want to look further. So trust your instincts. Love it. Thanks for hopping on today's show. I'm hoping I can have
0: you on again sometime in the future. Maybe we'll get you in a different conference room. I know you have Red Rocks over there as well in the Colorado office. We can change the scenery behind you. Nice.
1: Yes, we will absolutely
0: do that. Uh, thanks a lot, Tim. Thank you. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email at fool.com or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can catch the videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Tim Byers, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and Fool on!